Today is the second and final part of our series called Love and Hate. And just like last week, I want to start with a little bit of a survey with you here this morning. How many of you hate reality television? You just hate reality television going, man, give me a comedy, give me a drama. I hate reality television. Okay, a lot of you. How many of you say, no, 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 no. Give me Survivor, give me Big Brother, The Bachelor, you know, Bachelorette, right? You know, I, I want those reality type things like, you know, where they date 20 people at the same time because that's reality, right? All right. Some of you like, were reluctantly like raising your I'd actually raise my hand for that. Not The Bachelor, but, you know, I, I like Survivor and Big Brother, things like that. Okay. Uh, how about this one? How many of you hate Apple products? Apple products. Yeah, there's uh, some of us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You're the real Christians. All right. <laughs> right. It's like, give me my PC. Give me my, my Android devices. How many are like, no, no, no. I like Apple products. I mean, I've got my iPhone and my iPod, my iPad, my iWatch. I'm just waiting for my iCar and my iHouse so I can have the whole iLife, right? <laughs> Apple people. Yeah. My, my point just as last week is this. There are things that some of us love, and then there's things that some of us hate. <clears throat> Sorry, little furball in my throat there. Um, it, it's just how we are. We, we love and we hate, and the reason that we love and hate things is because we're made in the image and likeness of God. And so God loves some things, and God hates some things. Now, I know you're going, wait a second, all right, I understand God loving because we talked about it last week that God is love. But you're going, does God really hate things? I mean, you know, this all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God, does he really hate? And the answer is yes. In fact, there's scripture to back it up. Look at Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19 says there are six things that the Lord does what? That the Lord hates. Seven that he just cannot stand. Arrogant looks, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a witness who lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. So right here we, we have a list of things that, that God hates. Now, I believe there's actually more than just this list, though. Because Scripture talks a lot about things that God loves, and obviously anything that's the opposite of what God loves, then God must hate as well. And so, again, I believe there's this list of things that God hates, but there, there's other things that, that God just absolutely cannot stand. He despises it. And so what I did when we were down in Haiti a couple weeks ago is I asked Bruce and I asked Seth and Bree, I said, look, as we're on this trip, I, I know I'm going to be doing this series when we get back called Love and Hate. Just make me a list of, of things that you observe, things that you see that you think God loves, and then give me a list of some things that God hates. So we talked about love last week, and today I want to talk about some of the things that we saw that we believe that God hated. So they, they gave me their list, and there was a couple things that we all had in common. I'll talk more about those in just a bit. But let me give you some other ones that showed up on some of our lists, but not others. One of the things was, uh, actually a couple people said that, believe that, that God hates how the Haitians have sort of destroyed the beauty of God's creation. Let me show you a picture that I took one night 
up on, I was actually in the compound up on top of a tractor trailer because I need to get higher than the walls. But look at this sunset uh, that I was able to take the one night there. Just absolutely beautiful down there. And so you'll see this a lot in Haiti, just these open fields and the mountains, and it's just so beautiful. However, the thing that we saw that we hated was the trash in the litter. Look, take a look at this. Now, this is actually not one of the shots. We were trying to get this shot, uh, but we were always in a moving vehicle going past this particular uh, little place here. Uh, so I think Bruce actually got a, a couple sort of from a distance, but we always saw these pigs down in the water and the trash. Oops, go back there real quick. Back up. There you go. Um, yeah, so, I mean, um, can you see now why they don't drink the water there? It's just... It's disgusting. Kids playing in the, in the middle of all that. Now, the, the next picture is one that we were actually uh, in the back of a pickup truck, the four of us, and being transported. It was like, what, about an hour, I guess, from the hospital up to where we were staying. And uh, it was raining, so we're caught in the back of a pickup truck. It's raining, so we, we were having a lot of fun, right? But we actually caught this picture that the trash was just like being washed down the street up against this guy's business or house or whatever he has here. And so he's like raking the, the trash away. But it's everywhere. We saw in the two and a half hours from the airport up to the, uh, to the compound where we were staying, one time that they were trying to like collect trash and burn it, but that was it. Everywhere else, it was just everywhere. And so again, we believe that, that that's something that, that God hates, is just trashing his creation like that. There was other things that showed up on uh, some of the lists. Uh, I know uh, Bruce mentioned there was uh, animal abuse down there that we, we saw. There was uh, disrespect that we saw. There was, in general, just chaos that we saw. One of the things that I would add to it that none of the other three did was the traffic. Uh, take... Take a look at this. This is actually one of our safer times because we're sitting still. <laughs> Somebody described the traffic down there like a NASCAR race where the cars get to go both ways. Imagine a two-lane road, but yet three lanes of traffic. And basically, if I never hear another car horn again, uh, I'll, I'll be okay with it. Because basically, you're just flying along, and if you can pass on the left, you pass on the left. If you can pass somebody on the right, you pass them on the right. And it's just, you're, you're flying, and it's basically a game of chicken with people coming the other way. It's like somebody will eventually slow down and let the other person get in. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Now, here's the deal. Not only do you have three lanes of traffic in a two-lane road, but then for every car, there's about ten times the amount of motorcycles, because that's how most of the people get around because they can't afford an automobile. So they use motorcycles as a means of a taxi service. And sometimes we'd see like four people on the back of a motorcycle. <laughs> Crazy. And they, they uh, call these things tap-taps. Now actually you see one of the tap-taps there that's actually a truck that people get in. They use that like a bus system. But then these motorcycles are these tap-tap drivers. And the reason they're called tap-tap drivers is because when you want to get off, you tap, tap the driver on the shoulder, and that's your signal that, that you're going to get off. 
So you got three lanes, or yeah, two lane road, three lanes of traffic, and all these motorcycles that are dodging in and out of all of it. Plus you're trying to avoid potholes and pigs and chickens and goats and mules and I mean, you name the animal, it could be crossing the road. And then there's people. Remember as a kid you were taught that you know across the street you look left and you look right and then you look left again. Sometimes I found myself going, And then when you think that it's okay to go, you sprint. You sprint to the other side of the street because, again, there are no traffic laws. Well, technically there are, but nobody follows them. You know, my, my joke was, what does a stop sign mean in Haiti? And the answer is absolutely nothing because you just keep going right on through it. It doesn't matter. You know, somebody will stop, or at least that's what you're hoping. One of the crazy things was, if you're in an accident, here's how they resolve it. You get out, whoever looks like you have more money, you have to pay for it. So guess what happens if you're white? You're going to be the one that pays. In fact, two people in our compound were in accidents while we were down there, including on the Friday that we were there, the guy that actually is going to be the new director down there. He got T-boned by a tap-tap driver. And the tap-tap driver immediately demanded 8,000 US dollars to pay for the damages that he caused. Now, luckily... Steve had a, a Haitian with him, and the Haitian said, get back in the vehicle, I'll try to negotiate this for you. And then that Haitian actually knew the tap-tap driver's uh, bo uh, boss, and so they were still in the midst of negotiations, but still probably going to end up costing 1000 to $2,000, even though it wasn't his fault. So I can't find you a scripture on this one, but I think that God hates the traffic in Haiti. Now, again, there, there was various things that all of us had on our list, but there was two things that was on all four of our lists. And those are the things I want to talk to you about today, but here's why I want to talk to you about it. God doesn't hate these things just in Haiti. He hates them here in the United States as well. So two things. Number one, if you're taking notes here today, and that is a lack of contentment. You're going, wait a second. The people in Haiti weren't content? God hates their lack of contentment? And the answer is, no, they were perfectly content. You know whose contentment God hates? It was ours. It's when we looked in the mirror at ourselves and realized how blessed we were, but yet how much we complain about how little we have. And I believe that God absolutely hates that. I mentioned to you last week that Haiti is one of the poorest countries in the whole world. And that we as Americans, we have it good. We're, we're rich. We're blessed as compared to others. Now, here's the sad part. Haiti's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, but it only ranks number 20 in the world's poorest countries. So as bad as what it was for us down there and the things that we saw, there's 19 other countries that are even worse. Absolutely amazing. And, you know, you, you come back and you start to look at everything through the lens of, sort of money. And what, what does that cost in the Haitian dollar? I was standing out in the, the lobby today and I noticed that we had some donuts there and it said $3 on the, the package that whoever bought it, you know. $3 for a pack of donuts. That's more than they make in a day. An entire day's wage. We just bought a thing of donuts. And guess what? If you guys don't eat all those donuts, what will we do with it? We'll just throw it away. And so we are rich. We are blessed as Americans. 
You know, you often hear, especially in, in today's political climate, about the, the 1%, you know, and the big evil 1%, the rich people. Here's what you need to understand. When it comes to the world, you are the 1%. You're going, Gilbert, I'm not rich. Yes, you are. Look at this chart. If you have the average income, your household income, in Dauphin County of $54,232 per year, that puts you not just in the top 1% of the world's wealthiest people, it actually puts you in the top one quarter of 1% of the world's wealthiest people. Let that sink in again. As I look out here, most of us are average middle class by American standards. But if you're just average here in Dauphin County, you're in the top one quarter of 1% of the world's wealthiest people. But yet we complain, don't we? Oh, I don't have this. I wish I could have that. My friend has this. I don't have that. We're not content with the things that we have. We are so blessed, but yet we think that we're poor. But here's what I want to say to you. You live in a nation where even the poor amongst us here in Harrisburg still have access to public housing, food stamps, welfare, even free cell phones. What we call the, the slums and the ghettos of America would be considered living like a king in Haiti. Because again, even in our poorest sections of Harrisburg, still a roof over your head, still electricity, still running water. In Haiti, a house would be maybe a, a quarter of the size of the, you know, maybe just this little part of the stage over here. It's made out of block. It has a tin roof on it, dirt floors. Five to seven people that live inside of that little area. Again, we are very, very blessed with the country that we live in. You live in a nation that not only are we so rich that all of us have access to clean drinking water just by you know, going to the spigot and, and at the tap, but we're so rich that we're not even satisfied with that. We go and we buy it in a bottle. We actually buy our water so that it's even cleaner than the clean water we're already getting. That would blow a Haitian away that we would do something like that. We live in a nation that starvation is not our problem. It's obesity. We have so much food that we eat too much. We live in a country where you're laughed at if you don't have the latest technology. We live in a country where every single time you fill up your car with a tank of gas, you have just spent more money than the average person in the world makes in an entire month. Let that sink in. Next time you're standing there, complain about gas prices and stuff. Just be thankful that you even have the money to, to fill up a tank of gas because you just spent more than the average person makes in an entire month. Our country is relatively free of terrorism, civil war, and violent protests. But yet here's the irony. 
the United States ranks number three in the most cases of depression in the world. We're in the top five of the most drug addicts in the world. It would seem that we have it all, but yet we're just simply not content with what we have. We're depressed because of how bad our life is. We resort to, to drugs to, to numb the pain of this misery that I have as an American. Got to learn to be content. God hates discontentment. The Apostle Paul, he, he grew up as a, as a wealthy man. And then when he became a follower of Jesus, he said, you know what? The most important thing to me is just this mission of, of getting this message out to as many people as I possibly can. And he said, I don't care if I have a lot. I don't care if I have a, a little. I'm just going to invest it all in getting the good news out. And here's what he says to the church that met in the, uh, the city of Philippi. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Paul says, I have learned to be satisfied with the things I have and with everything that happens. I know how to live when I am poor, and I know how to live when I have plenty. I have learned the what? I have learned the, the secret of being happy at any time and in everything that happens. When I have enough to eat and when I go hungry. When I have more than I need and when I do not have enough. My question for you is this. Have you learned the secret of being content? Have you learned that secret? Or are you always just in the constant search for more. And if you're always in the constant search for more, how can you justify that in the light of the things I've been sharing with you these past two weeks? Let me give you another example. Look at this picture here. This was actually one that was taken in a market. And as I mentioned to you last week, you have to be very careful taking pictures down there because since they practice voodoo, they think that if they get their picture taken that you captured their soul. So you have to be very careful. And we were able to get a, a lot of pictures but this particular one was taken in a market. It was just so crowded that we had to be very covert. So I actually put my cell phone on a video and I was just carrying my cell phone sort of down by my side like this with it actually videotaping. And then Seth, he had a GoPro sort of attached to the back strap or the backpack strap. And so just sort of walking around and doing stuff. So this is actually a still shot from his GoPro that we were able to capture here. But notice the little uh, yellow uh, bucket and then it has a, a blue lid on top of it. And notice there's things there that look like sort of like a cracker or a wafer or a cookie. You know what that is? They're called mud cookies. It's mud with some flour mixed into it. Imagine being so hungry that you have to resort to eating dirt. Today, when we're done this experience, you're going to have some options, aren't you? Do we go out to eat? Do we go home to eat? And when you go out to eat, you'll have a lot of options of places to go. When you get home, if you decide to eat there, you're going to open up your fridge. And again, options. There they are so hungry that they'll even eat dirt. But yet again, we complain about our lives that, Oh, I don't have the latest fashions. I don't have the latest iPhone. My house 
is too small. My car is too old. My kids don't have the latest and greatest things that all the rest of their friends have. Let me ask you a question. How generous are you? Are you generous in in trying to fulfill the mission of God here in Harrisburg, in Haiti, and other places around the world? Or are you constantly in the search of more and more and more for yourself? See, I I want to be known uh, as a church that, man, you know, I don't believe in and their Jesus thing. I don't believe in the, the Bible thing. I don't believe in all the things that they believe. But man, that exponential church, they are generous. They help the people of Harrisburg. They help the people of the world. They don't just keep accumulating things for themselves. They just keep giving and giving and giving of their time, of their talent, and yes, even of their money. So how generous are you? Paul, in in talking to the church there in the uh, city of Philippi, and uh, by the way, this was the the very first church that he had planted in Europe. He actually commends them, not just in in that book, but also in the uh, book of uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians, because they were very, very generous. At the Corinthian church, which was this big church, they weren't being generous. They had so much, but yet they were hoarding it for themselves. Can uh, somebody get me a <coughs> speaking of a bottle of water? <coughs> Can somebody grab me a bottle of water quick? Thanks. I'm going to have three bottles of water. All right. So the, this church in, in Corinth, they, they were not generous. This little small church there in the, the city of Philippi, they didn't have a lot. But yet they kept giving and giving and giving and giving to the point that Paul actually, again, he commends them. And he says, I wish all the churches was like what's happening in Philippi. And here's what you need to understand about Philippi. They weren't giving out of their abundance. They were actually giving out of their poverty. Thank you, Dan. That's my dad, by the way. Give him a big hand. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. So, you know. <laughs> Yes, mother, you too. You had a part to play. I understand. We had that talk. I understand how it worked. Yeah. That's an image you want to get out of your mind. <laughs> so anyway, they're giving out of their, their, their poverty. And so again, I ask you, are you giving generously? Or are you giving out of, you know, your abundance? You know, well, when I have it, then I'll give. Or are you saying, God, you have called me to give no matter what. Whether I'm rich, whether I'm poor, you're calling me to be generous. Because whatever you've entrusted to me is yours anyway. And so I'm just going to live, and we talked about this the other week, I'm going to live with hands open and palms down. That way I can't grasp hold of anything. God, it's, it's all yours. Contentment is only going to come when you learn to place God's desires above your own desires. Say that again. Contentment will only come when you learn to place God's desires above your own desires. You're going to go, but that, that's hard to live out. You know it is, unless you learn the secret. Remember Paul talked about, I've learned the secret 
of being satisfied. I've learned the secret of being content. And really, it's not a secret because he just goes ahead and tells what the secret is. He goes on and and throughout the book of Philippians, then he says, you know what? Here's the secret. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And he says, my God will supply all of my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And that's the secret. You'll never be content until you put Jesus first before anyone and anything else in your life. You see, here's the thing. In life, you desire a lot of things, don't you? But all those things, and I've referred to it in the past as it. You know, you want it. What is your it? Maybe a car, maybe a house, it maybe, you know, whatever. But here's what you need to understand about it. It will eventually break. It will wear out. It will go out of style. It will get stolen. So you can't pursue the things that are only temporary. For some of you, the it is actually a person. But what you need to realize about that is every single person in life will at some point let you down. But Jesus never will. Jesus will never, ever let you down. And again, he is the only thing that will truly satisfy that that desire you have in your heart for more and more and more and more. The reason you want more and more and more is you're saying there's something that's lacking. There's something that I need. That's Jesus. He's got to be first. And as we looked at last week, if you put Jesus first, his kingdom, his righteousness, then everything else will be given to you as well. Until you put Jesus first, you're always going to wrestle with discontentment. Last week, I I shared with you that we're going to be sponsoring a a church there in Haiti. It's part of our denomination. They didn't have a, a, what they call sister church. And I mentioned to you that it's in the town of Varetz, Haiti, which is only about 10 minutes away from the compound uh, where we stay. And I shared with you the video last week of the worship. And you remember how happy the people were? And they they had their hands raised up in worship and they were singing so loud and just the smiles on their faces that they had. And again, this is in the midst of extreme, extreme poverty. Well, here's the cool part. This week when I was actually filling out all the paperwork to to become a a sister church with them, a partner church, I found out what the name of the church is. You're going, how did you not know the name of the church if you went to the church? Well, remember I told you we got there and there was no signage. We actually passed the church and we had to turn around and come back. So we didn't even know the name of the church. But this week I found out it's called the Allaire Church, A-L-L-A-I-R-E. And you know what it means in Creole, what Allaire means in Creole? It means cheerful. So we went to the cheerful church. And that's the church we're partnering with. That's the church that you saw last week with those people just so enthusiastic about their relationship with Jesus. And it makes sense. They've learned the secret to being content. That all they need is Jesus. And they can have a smile on their face. And they can worship at the very top of their lungs. They don't need anything else. I mean, everything else is just a bonus. They're like, Jesus is all that I need. Let me ask you a question. Is that true for you? Would you fit in at the Allaire Church? 
that you'd be able to live on less than $3 a day, but yet still show up at church on Sunday with a smile on your face and joy in your heart because joy doesn't come from stuff. Joy comes from Jesus. God hates discontentment. And unfortunately, he sees that a lot in us when we're not grateful for the things that we do have. Here's the second thing then that God hates, or at least that we observe, and that is that most people don't have a relationship with Jesus. Now, God hates this not just in Haiti, but he, he hates it everywhere. That, that People don't have a relationship with Jesus. God hates that. As I've mentioned to you, Haiti is a voodoo nation. That's their official religion, voodoo. Only 15% of the nation practices Christianity, are followers of Jesus. So you've got all these people, they're living in the midst of extreme poverty. And they don't even have the same hope that we have that there's a better life yet to come. And as you're down there, as we would be driving along, we would pass a lot of the witch doctor's houses. And you saw all kinds of satanic crosses that were down there. Every single night on the compound as we'd be sleeping there in our beds, you know, we had a ceiling fan that was on to try to keep the room as cool as possible. But we also had the windows up just to allow a, a breeze to sort of blow through. And every single night between 1 and 2 a.m. in the morning, we'd be awoken to the sound of screams coming from up the street of the witch doctor's house. That they were doing whatever satanic rituals and stuff. And I'm talking horror movie screams. Just the... Just the spiritual darkness there. It's unreal. Jesus absolutely hates that these people don't know him. But again, he absolutely hates that people here in America don't know him. Take a look at this picture. This one that we snapped going along. I think this is in the town of St. Mark as we were sort of going through the town. The Ann Christ store. I mean... They actually advertise it in their, in their stores that this is the Antichrist store. And as you can see, it, it looks like they're selling other types of, you know, there's a cell phone type thing there and there's some flip-flops there. I don't know if this is just some guy's sick sense of humor or, or what the deal is. But just, again, the, the spiritual depravity of Haiti is very, very depressing. And again, they have no hope that there's a life beyond the life that they're living that's going to be better. And so, at least for me personally, the, the words that Jesus gave at the end of the book of Matthew really, really drove home even more than they've ever done before. Look at this in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. Jesus says, Go to the people of all nations and make them my disciples baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to do everything that I have told you, and I'll be with you always, even till the very end of the world. Now, for those of you that may have been around church for a while, what do we know this as? What, what is this called? Jesus' great what? 
Right, this is Jesus' great commission to us. I want you to take that word commission and I want you to break it into two words. How would you do that? How, how would you break up commission into two words? What would be the natural way to break it up? Right, co-mission. What does co-signify? Together. Joint mission. So Jesus says, I want you to go into all the world preaching, teaching, baptizing. Share the good news of what I did for people on the cross. That I've risen again from the dead so that they may be saved from their sins. So that they can have eternal life forever and an abundant life right now. But it's a co-mission. Jesus did his part and he says, now it's time for my church, for my people to do your part. It's a co-mission. We're in this together. Now, by the, the sake of it being a mission and you have a mission to do, what does that make you then? By title, a missionary. You're going, no, 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 Gilbert. Missionaries are like people that go to Haiti or go to Africa or something. And, and you know, they, they live there and they're amongst the people. No, 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 no. Listen, all of us are missionaries. For some of you, your mission field is the office. For some of you, the missionary is a school. Your neighborhood. So the, the mission field is, is everywhere. As, as soon as you walk out of these doors, guess what? You've entered the mission field. So you have a co-mission because you're a, a missionary. That's who you are. You're a minister for Jesus. You're going, no, Gilbert, you're the, you're the minister of the church. No, 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 I, I am a minister, but you're a minister as well. What's different about me is I'm called to be a pastor. Now that's different. Not all of you are called to be a pastor, but we're all called to be ministers. And I've said this to you before and I'll keep saying it over and over and over again. I want you to get this that here's who you are. Go ahead, Evan, put the next thing up. I am a full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. I'm a full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You go, no, 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 I'm a factory worker. I'm a school teacher. I'm an IT professional. No, you're not. You are a full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ who happens to get paid by a factory or in a retail sales store or by a school, or by a, a firm of some sort. Say that with me. I am a full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's your identity. Here's the cool part about this. Exponential doesn't have to pay you to do that, do we? Think about this. This is so clever. This is God's plan. He said, I want you, my people, to do this, this project, this mission together with me. It's a, a co-mission. And to fund it, I'm going to have the people of the world do it. People that don't even believe in my mission. The federal government. The school system. The retail store. The gas station. Wherever you work. 
may hate Jesus, but yet they are paying you a wage, a full-time wage, so that you can be a full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? Now you're sort of an undercover agent. You know, you don't put that on your name tag. Walk around the store, walk around the gas station, walk around the school with, you know, I'm a full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're an undercover agent. You're infiltrating the enemy's territory. And you're doing this co-mission along with Jesus. God hates that you have family members and friends and neighbors and co-workers that don't currently have a relationship with Jesus, that if they were to die today, would spend all of eternity in a very real place called hell. And so he says, I'm giving you a mission. Once you go out there, I want you to develop relationships with these people. I want you to show them what it looks like to live the Christian life. And yes, I want you to, to verbally talk to them about me and, and what I've done. You're going, oh man, that's evangelism. I hate evangelism. You shouldn't hate evangelism. Here's the reason why. My former boss, Rick Warren, said it this way. All of us have five purposes in life. And the church has five purposes. If you've ever read the Purpose Driven Life or the Purpose Driven Church, you know what those five are. It's to worship. It's to evangelize. It's to disciple. It's to do ministry. And it's to have fellowship amongst one another. Got that? So worship, evangelism, telling people about Jesus, discipleship, growing in a relationship with Jesus, ministry, serving people, and then fellowship, doing life deeply together. Let me ask you a question. Will we worship in heaven, yes or no? Yes. Will we get discipled in heaven? Will we learn more and more about Jesus and, and God as we're in heaven, yes or no? Yes, every moment of every hour, more and more of the facet of who God is and his glory and his splendor will be revealed to us. So we'll be discipled. Will we fellowship in heaven amongst ourselves? Yes. Will we serve in heaven? Will there be something to do or are we just going to sit around playing a harp on a cloud all day? Going to be work to do. Will there be evangelism in heaven? No. Why? Because everybody that's in heaven's already been evangelized. So out of the five purposes, four of them you'll do forever. One of them you've been left here on the earth to do. That is to share your faith. To be on this co-mission with Jesus. And don't make evangelism this, this weird thing. It's not about having this whole long presentation memorized that you know you are the Bible answer man or Bible answer woman and you know everything and stuff. It's just about developing relationships with people and telling them about how much Jesus has done for you. You know, when you go to a new restaurant and you really like it, you tell your friends about it, don't you? You're like, oh man, we just ate at this restaurant. Oh, it's great. You guys should try it out sometime. Or you order a product and you really like it and people are like, hey, what's that? I've never seen that. And you're like, oh, let me show you here. And, and you tell them about it. And you're like, let me tell you how you can get one. You're excited about it. And that's what evangelism is. It's that you are a satisfied customer, so to speak. That you're happy about what Jesus did for you on the cross and how he's changed your life. And that's all you're doing is you're just sharing that with people. That look, here's how I used to be. Then I started a relationship with Jesus and now here's who I am today. 
And let me just say this, if you're not excited about your relationship and you can't tell people about, here's how I used to be, but here's how Jesus changed me, then maybe you're not actually a follower of Jesus. If you can't get excited enough to to tell other people about how much he's changed you, maybe you're not a follower. Jesus said this, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. So we can't keep quiet. We can't keep this good news to ourselves. I said this to you many times in the past. If you had the cure for cancer, you would be shouting it from the rooftops. But we've got something better than the cure for cancer. We have the cure for sin. We have the keys to eternal life and an abundant life right here and right now. But yet we want to keep it to ourselves. Our attitude soften as well. It's my four and no more. But how selfish is that? Speak of things God hates. Selfishness. Again, God hates that you know people, you have friends, you have neighbors, co-workers, relatives. Don't know Jesus. Obviously, I bring all this up because next week's Easter. You have the opportunity this week to invite people to, to come in and be a part of what we're doing. And I've said this before, it's part of our core values here at Exponential. Just become a world-class inviter. Yeah, maybe you don't feel comfortable sharing the whole gospel of here's what Jesus did and all that kind of stuff. I do. So just get people here, especially on Easter. I mean, what else are we going to talk about next week? (laughs) Get people here because people's Lives matter. Another one of our core values. Lost people matter to God and therefore they must matter to me. They've got to matter. So does God hate some things? Yeah, he does. We saw a list in the book of Proverbs. We've heard some other things that we know just God can't stand. And so your choice this morning is this. Am I going to continue to to live with an attitude of, I need more, I want more. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Or are we going to learn the secret to being content? That I need Jesus and Jesus alone. And as long as I have Him, I have everything I need. And every, anything else beyond that is just a bonus. It's just a blessing. And again, are you going to realize that you've already gotten a lot of bonuses as Americans? You've already got a lot of blessings. And so we're blessed to be a blessing. Our job is to then give and and help the people of this community that are are down and out and the the people of the world. And then are you going to do your part to be a part of the co-mission? Are you going to actually start to live out from this day forth that I am a full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ who happens to get paid by somebody else? See, that's who you are. You are a full-time minister of the gospel of Christ. What you do for a living, that's that's a separate thing. But who you are and your great mission in life is to make sure that every single man, woman, boy, and girl that you come in contact with has an opportunity to respond to Jesus. It's not my job. It's part of my job. But imagine 
If it's just my job and it's only something that Gilbert does, we'll have a very limited impact. Do we want to have an exponential impact? That involves each and every one of you playing your part. Let's talk about how to have an exponential impact. If next week each one of you invite just four people, statistics say that one of those four will show up. We would double our size next week if just each and every one of you did your part. And then what if those people then started inviting people and those people started inviting people? It's this multiplication, exponential impact that we're able to have. And as I said before, it's not so we can have more people and just say, oh, we're a big church. Well, that's not the reason. It's because every soul matters. Every single person you lock eyes with matters to God. Whether you know them or not, start looking at people through that lens that this person matters to God. And I wonder if they have a relationship with Jesus. I wonder if they'll spend eternity in heaven. And if not, what can I do to, to play a part in helping them get to that place? I'll wrap with this. Who is one day going to come up to you in heaven excitedly saying, I'm here in heaven because of you. Because in 2017 at Easter, you had the guts, you had the courage to invite me to come to your church. And I prayed and I asked Jesus to forgive me my sins. And I prayed and asked him to be the leader of my life. And I'm here today in heaven because of what you did. Thank you. Thank you. Father, we thank you for this day and this opportunity we've had these past two weeks just to review some of the things that you love and some of the things that you hate and just talk about some of the experiences that we had when we were down in Haiti. And Lord, I pray that we as a church would, and as individuals in the church, would just become more and more content with what we have, that we would realize that it's better to give than it is to receive that we wouldn't just constantly be in this pursuit of more and more and more stuff. But we would say, God, I've been blessed to be a blessing. So what is it that you would have me to do to help the people of this community and the people of the world? And Lord, I pray as we get ready for Easter next week, that even now you would be moving in the hearts and the minds of the people that we're going to be inviting this week, that there would be a stirring in their hearts that there's got to be something more than this. And that our invitation then would sort of click for them and they go, oh, maybe, maybe that's what I need. Maybe I need to get into a church. Maybe I need Jesus. And so Lord, give us the, the boldness and the courage this week just to invite the people that we know. We don't even have to invite strangers, just people that we know to come and be a part of what we're doing here. Jesus, my prayer is that if nothing else was accomplished this morning, that there would be this, this imprint in all of our hearts and all of our lives, something that we can never get out of our minds, that I am a full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's my whole purpose of still being here on this earth, to be a part of this co-mission with you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that your spirit would just keep bringing that phrase back to our minds constantly over this next week and over the coming months and the coming years until it just becomes a part of who we are that we realize that's who I am. Spirit of God, do your work.
convict us. Change us here today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.